name is Neil Middleton and every month we create informative content for you as we talk to important, influential and inspirational people from the world of bats as well as other areas of interest. To find out more about Batability, go to batability.co.uk. Now for the interview, let's do it. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Talking Bat. And today I am really pleased to have someone with me from Germany. And this is Volker Runkel from Ecoops in Germany. How are you doing, Volker? Hello, Neil. Fine. I'm um, thanks. Um, we have very nice weather and um, yeah, a good time to enjoy bed work and day work. Yeah, yeah. So have you been doing many bat surveys in the last few weeks or? Uh, in my garden, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you live in northern Germany. You were telling me earlier that you live close to Bremen, eh, I think. Uh, what, what kind of bats do you get up there? Do you get anything interesting that us Brits wouldn't have? Uh, no, no, no. It's a uh, very similar uh, species. Um, we have a lot of uh, nucleus bats, uh, mainly the um, nucleus noctula. We have uh, Apticicus erotinus, uh, so um, Pipistrellus pipistrellus, some Natusi bats still here, um, mostly most of the summer, and uh, Daubentons. Um, they're hunting in my garden, which I still don't understand. I don't have any water bodies around, so uh, yeah, something to investigate further. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing with Dobentons is everybody thinks of Dobentons bats as being a bat that hunts exclusively over water, but Certainly in, uh, in Britain, that is not the case. Um, they'll, there are certainly early on in the season uh, when there's maybe not that many insects over water surfaces. Uh, you find them in woodland. You definitely find them in woodland over here uh, at this time of year, or maybe slightly earlier than this time of year. So, so you've just moved to Bremen. Is that right? You Exactly. Uh, yeah. At Easter. So, um, yeah, I'm... Um, since two months here um, and still enjoying everything. Everything is new. Um, it's more rural than I lived before. So um, much better than cities. Wow. wow. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, your work-related activities today because uh, the, whole, the whole purpose of getting you on here is to talk to you about ECUBES. Is that how you pronounce it? Is it eco-ops or how? Exactly, how exactly. We say eco-ops, ecological observation. Um, this is yeah. what it stands for. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But um, most people, I, I think I know uh, 10 or 15 different pronunciations. So, um, yeah, <laughs> we should have explained it. Um, under title, um, you should uh, pronounce it eco-ops, ecological observation. But, yeah. Um, Excellent, excellent. So before we get too heavily into that, I just want to explore a little bit about your background. So I know you did um, you know, a lot of uh, bat-related research prior to you setting up the business, and I believe your PhD related to bats as well. Do you want to just talk a little bit about some of the research that you did in, in the early days or the earlier days? Early days, yeah, when I was still young. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, um, I started studying computer science um, 
failed, went on to biology um, and had the big luck to, to start or to, 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 to meet Otto von Helversen, uh, one of the famous um, battery surgeons in Germany. And um, he, he was interested in people that are interested in biology and computer science. So um, I ended up with, um, with Otto von Helversen. I was doing my diploma thesis there and my PhD the diploma thesis I wanted to do on bats. I did it on grasshoppers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, acoustic um, uh, acoustic communication in two species. Okay. So then I insisted on doing a PhD work in bats, and um, I was interested in um, bats in forests. Or, or why? Um, mainly because at that time, um, Uli Schnitzler, also from Germany, uh, and Elisabeth Kalko published um, uh, niche differentiation due to um, the acoustic, um, yeah, uh, the specifications of the echolocation calls. So um, we said uh, we have typical foragers in open areas and down to the end of um, highly cluttered areas and the echolocation calls will tell us exactly where these bats hunt. And from my experiences walking around with a bat detector, um, I found, no, bats don't care. Um, <laughs> you can find them nearly anywhere. Uh, and um, the most interesting thing was um, greater noctules hunting in large um, pine trees. They were flying through the pine trees all the time for around an hour each evening. And there were um, different kind of beetles um, flying around these trees or within these trees. And uh, the greater noctules decided we're hungry. We want to eat that. So uh, I decided let's look into bats and uh, bats in forests. Uh, and um, yeah, this was quite interesting. Um, for many reasons. One reason was, uh, of course, we did find the bats uh, using parts of forests uh, like um, roads or open areas more preferably, especially um, in mid of summer. Um, later in the year, uh, in autumn, the behavior changed a bit. Uh, so we found this uh, species um, like nutter's bats uh, more often in dense forests, um, still throughout the year, most of the time they used roads. Um, and uh, we, we did a lot of research with um, lasers. So we, we measured um, parts of the forest. Uh, we calculated clutterness for areas of 40 on 40 on 40 meters uh, to see is there an influence of clutter, stuff like that. So um, yeah, very, very, very interesting. And um, to do all this research, um, I decided I don't want to run around with a detector each night. I want um, a computer doing the work for me. So uh, this is when I went back to my computer science background and um, together with Uli Markman, a friend um, who was doing his PhD as well, um, we invented the Bedcoder system for our research. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, and, that, and, that, and that meant it shown to... Uh... Eco ops, I would imagine, eventually. Yes. Uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, we we um, had the problem. Okay, we have an idea. We want an automatic detector. So, 
you have to develop it. So first we went to people in uh, Fraunhofer Institute in Germany, the same people that invented MP3. Um, we asked them, they, they, they were just close by. So we asked them, um, are you interested in an automated or automatic bed detector? And they said, yes, of course. And they started to develop something. And um, after a year, they told us what they had planned. Okay, it needed a power line. So um, main power, we told them, okay, we work in forests. Oh, okay. Hmm. So no, no, sorry, we can't do that. Uh, so we had to develop our own system within four months. Uh, later, these people also um, introduced to us one of their students. Um, he was a bit different than other students. He was working on the electrics of cars and they didn't find a place for him. Uh, so um, we met the third in, in ECOPS. So um, before we even started to think about a business, uh, we were put together by, by chance. Um, so these typical coincidences and then suddenly three people were sitting there, uh, two biologists and an electric engineer. And yeah, so one led to the other. And uh, in the end, we, we started uh, the business from all these research projects um, yeah, that we yeah. were coming from. Okay, so we'll come on to talk about the business uh, in, in a few moments. Yeah. But uh, you mentioned uh, Ulrich there, and uh, just a little bit of a, a shout out at this stage. Uh, this is a book that was originally published in German uh, a few years ago now, I think. And it's coming out for us, us English speakers uh, uh, towards the end of the, I think, I think it's around about August this year is the planned date when it's going to hit the shelves. And we're not going to talk about the book today, but I just wanted to highlight to people that you are the same Volker Runkel that's on this book. And, and at some point later in the year, I think you're going to come back and we're going to do a talking bat uh, just about the, the content of what for us is going to be a new book. Uh, so uh, hopefully you're able to do that. And I haven't put Volker on the spot there, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> he has already agreed <laughs> to do this. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, talking to yourself and maybe, maybe the other co-authors as well if, if they are up to being there yep. at the same time. If you're enjoying listening to our podcasts, perhaps you would also be interested in joining Batability Club. To find out more about Club, which includes hundreds of hours of accessible training resources available to you in your own time and at your case, go to batability.co.uk. Thank you. Today we want to talk about ecoops, ecoops, right? Exactly. And you very nicely give us a little bit of background that took you to this point, I suppose, where all of your experiences in the field, all of the challenges that you would have been encountering relating to studying acoustic behaviour in bats, all of these things are, are happening. And as you say, you've uh, got your associate uh, Ulrich uh, that's involved in this kind of stuff as well. You've met this electrical engineer gentleman. And 
at some point, somebody must have decided, let's turn this into a business. Tell us a little bit of the, the backdrop to the ideas becoming the business and then the business getting launched. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this was like, um, at that time, um, many people thought, okay, automatic detectors, species ID in an automatic way doesn't work at all. And um, we just ignored all people telling us what doesn't work. And we started uh, for our research to work on, on, on the bed quarter and on, on the software. And um, when we um, published first results in, in talks, um, suddenly we had people listening that, that were uh, doing bed consultant work. And they said, oh, hmm. Does it really work? It would be so nice. And, and then we had the chance to, to work on a project. There were, um, was a, a motorway to be enlarged. And um, there was a lot of research. There was a big uh, German-wide project on beds and streets. And uh, we decided, OK, why not? It's close to, to, to Nuremberg and Erlangen. So um, we were doing uh, research for this uh, project. And suddenly, um, more and more consultants uh, realized uh, you can do automatic bed recording. Um, and so um, for us, it was what was clear, OK, um, let's just let's try it. We had no money. Um, we were lucky to get a funding. So at least we, we, we got some um, in. We, we, had, we had a small income for a year. and. Um, we told Klaus, the engineer, what we exactly want. So our prototypes were uh, small mini computers with car batteries and uh, nothing you, you ever want to sell to people. So um, we told Klaus, the engineer, what we want. And then we, we really used one year just to develop um, the bed coder as, as it is known now. And uh, we used our prototypes to earn some extra money. Uh, we we'll, lend them to, to people doing research on motorways. At, at that time, motorways were the thing. We built them and we realized bats have a problem with passing them. And when we had the first real bat coder, um, suddenly there was a new topic, wind power and bats. And um, there was no device apart from the Anabet that could be mounted to a wind turbine and uh, so one led to the other. Um, uh, there was a research project also at University of Erlangen. Um, in Germany, it's well known, the Rennebet project. Um, they worked at 80 wind turbines for three years and did carcass researches and acoustic monitoring and mostly with the bed quarters. So um, we, we just had this chain of lucky coincidences um, and one led to the other. So um, ECOPS was born um, due to us building motorways and um, wind turbines. Yeah, yeah. So who who was the? So it's not just yourself. There was there was somebody else there with you uh, launching the business. Is that correct? And still involved, I think. Yeah. Exactly. We started uh, as three people. So Uli Markman, uh, the other biologist, uh, Klaus Schuster, the electric engineer, and me. Uh, and in, this was 2006, seven. Um, in 2008, we were finally established. 
And in 2010, we switched to a new um, legal form. So in English, it's the limited. In Germany, it's the GmbH. Um, and at that time, we, we also switched the team. Um, Uli Markmann um, is still working for us and with us, but uh, has focused more on, on bad acoustics. Um, he also uh, published a um, uh, guideline to um, called uh, identification. Um, he's more into that stuff. And uh, Klaus and I, we were more the people used to sit at the computer, answer emails, pack packages, uh, and stuff like that. So that the, the, the business things, while Uli was more like the, the thinker. And so he, uh, he did his, his own company, or still does. And um, we, we switched the team a bit, but we're still cooperating all the time. So and look to to launch a business like this okay where you've actually got um there's an awful lot of research and development and costs associated with building prototypes and developing software uh, you must have put an awful lot of uh, financial uh, effort into getting this off the ground without knowing whether or not the business would ultimately be successful. Um, that, that must have been quite a tough time for you, I would imagine, um, from that perspective. But you must have had a lot of faith that was going to work. Yeah, We were very, very faithful. We, we had to do a um, business plan. So the funding we got for one year included uh, that we are taking part in, in some uh, contests and competitions and um, where you give in a business plan and some uh, business people tell you you have a good idea or um, yeah, it's stupid. So um, we had to do some, some research on um, funding or on, on, on uh, starting a business. We had to do a lot of research on um, our customers. So how many customers are there potentially uh, stuff like that. Uh, and most of the, people judging about our business plan said, ah, it's a hobby. Who's interested in bets? And yeah. this gave us uh, a lot of power to say, okay, we will show you who's interested in bets. Um, yeah. And um, in the end, it worked out uh, very well. And I think because we, we, never, we never looked at what could go wrong, but um, we all had a very positive um, framework um, or mindset and decided, it must go well. What else? Yeah. Uh, and I think this this um, when 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 I talk to people now um, who are starting business, I always tell them: don't think about the problems. Have your goals and just go ahead to your goals. If you fail after one year, nothing bad happens. But if you think about failing the full year, you never have fun. Yeah, yeah, uh, that that is very close to advice I give to people as well. Um, and it's along the line, it's pretty much what you've said, but I say to people, um, what are you afraid will happen if you do this? So what are you scared of? What does disaster look like? And I put them in that frame of mind where they imagine all of the things that might go wrong. And then I ask them to imagine all of the things that might go right. And then, and this is, I think, what you're getting at. I then ask them to imagine at some point in the future how they will feel 
if they never actually tried. And that usually, that usually gets people to go, that is much more scarier than trying mm. and failing. Yeah. Um, exactly. And if you fail and you start as a cab driver, you have something to tell to 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 the people you're driving around. So this is always the joke in in, in Germany, or was the joke. As a okay. biologist, you still can drive a cab, a, a taxi. Okay. So as taxi driver, you have something to tell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And uh, yeah. And uh, the the company is based in 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 Nuremberg in Germany. Exactly. Uh, but Europe in Europe in Europe in Bremen, which is exactly. kind of between Hamburg and the Netherlands, I suppose, up here. Yeah, uh, exactly. How, how, how does how does that work? I mean, I. <laughs> <laughs> um, already when we started, we designed it. Um, we're a small team, so now now we have two more people working in, in Nuremberg for us. Um, but still, we are a small company, a small team, and we decided um, we want a happy company. So. Everyone has, has to be able to say, okay, I want to work in a scheme like home office or um, office or whatever. And uh, from the beginning, uh, it was clear that um, I want to work in my home office when, when doing programming. Okay. Um, this is something very creative. Um, I need to get up, run around. I, I can't have people sitting next to me. I want to work undisturbed. So um, shut down my telephones, uh, don't look at my emails stuff like that so um this was quite important from the beginning and um since then i'm i'm working mostly in my home office and now with the pandemic um yeah all the people start home office home office. <laughs> what else <laughs> at, at at some point i i considered um getting a camper van and just driving around europe and working from the camper van um yeah. my dog which isn't that's easy to handle. Um, yeah, uh, he, he he was just stopping me in in this in this line of thoughts um, before I went too far. Um, so I decided, okay, yeah, then normal home office and uh, still the possibility to to decide when or how to work. And on the other hand, Klaus, the engineer, he has family with kids. Uh, for him, it's perfect uh, to have the business just close to where he lives and um, <laughs> we, we also had the luck to to um to find uh the the, the company that is um soldering our um bed quarter sits next next doors um which in the long term is really helpful if you have small changes in the hardware or if you have um ideas uh you just meet and you don't have a chinese company or whatever um yeah. just sending a um big cargo box uh, yeah um so um and this is why the company will also never move away from nuremberg so it will always sit there as long as our soldering um company sits there okay okay so let's talk about some of the products then so I, i've kind of you, you do lots of things at eco ops i know you you do some consultancy work you do call analysis you do some training you do talks but the the bulk of the business uh, I believe uh, surrounds the hardware, in other words, the bat detectors and the software. So let's let's focus first of all on the different uh, bat detector, the, well, the different hardware yep. uh, solutions that you've got. Now you've got the the bat corder here, 
uh, you've got the mini back order, you've got various extension packages for uh, renewable energy for wind turbines. Just tell us a little bit about about what you're what you're selling, I suppose. Why why does this stuff why does it work? How does it work? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, we started with with a single hardware, the bedcorder. Um, and with time, you realize uh, that the, the, the people have many needs. So um, when we started, we have the bed coder. Uh, we decided on, on um, maybe I just start with the specifications because they, they don't differ much between the different devices. Um, our goal was fully automatic system. So um, when, when we were starting, we looked into what is really needed to um, have a um, species identification in the end. So uh, we, we quickly learned uh, sample rate is, is necessary. So the, the higher the sample rate, um, the better or easier the recordings are for further um, analysis. So um, we designed the device with a 500 kilohertz sample rate. We have a 16-bit amplitude resolution which is standard you you get uh, the parts easily uh, it's easy to save uh, most other systems also use a 16-bit amplitude resolution um, we also found out um, that if you want to do automatic call analysis you need uh, high quality calls so um, the amplification or the gain of the system um, should be optimal optimal in that sense that you have some detection range but you also have uh, clear uh, recordings and a good sample yeah. uh, uh, signal to noise signal ratio to noise, yes yeah mm -hmm. so um this was the the, the the main goal in the beginning was to have um the bed coder as a high quality recording device and uh, this is what what klaus took some time to get uh, analog part in, in a way that it works well. Um, the next thing was um, with an automatic bed detector, you don't want to switch batteries every three or four hours. So um, another goal was to have a runtime that is long enough so you can do research or um, record beds um, for a longer time frame. Um, and from that came the bed quarter one. So um, our first uh, bed quarter was still a bit larger than our uh, current ones. Um, it was running for seven to 10 nights and uh, was storing its data on an SD card. Uh, this was another thing. How do you store data? Um, back when we developed uh, the bed quarter, the SD card and the CF card were both common in cameras. So yes. um, SD card was easier to use and uh, we decided for an SD card. Um, one uh, unrelated topic, unrelated to the actual hardware that we found out as a battery searcher, you're always tired. You <laughs> don't sleep much. You're awake most of the night. Even if you're not bed detecting with a detector, you do uh, telemetry work or you start looking for roosts so, uh, or you do netting. So usually you are very tired and when you start your day at, at the evening, um, you're happy if you don't have to think too much. Um, 
So um, independent of the actual hardware, um, we decided the device must be very easy to use. So the fewer mistakes you can make, the better your data is. Uh, and this, this uh, is why we also have not changed the design of the bed coder in more than 10 years. So uh, from the images you see, there's only a few buttons. There are some arrows um, usually used to, to navigate a menu. There's a power button and um, a light button. So not many buttons left that you can, can uh, use. So um, this, this has actually proven very, very useful. Um, many, many customers say, oh, it's so easy. We don't have to think. We don't have a complicated menu structure. We just have one screen with a couple of items that are important and necessary, and that's it. And then it starts recording. So um, of course, uh, we improved things. Um, we added an internal battery, for example. The first pet coder was running um, on an external battery pack. We added an internal battery when lithium ion batteries were more common and easier to get. Uh, we still have the external battery pack as a standard accessory um, because what we have learned is uh, if, if you don't have power in your device and you have to take it home, it's a pain in the, you know. Um, but if you can just switch the battery pack, um, much better. Uh, so um, we still use the external battery pack as standard accessory for the bed quarter. And um, with the two batteries together, you even can have run times of um, 15 to 18 nights um, due to many power saving uh, ideas we had. So the device switches off, uh, switches on automatically whenever you have set uh, the start and stop time. Um, that saves a lot of power if you don't have the device uh, using power at, at daytime um, with no bats flying around. Yes. Okay, so I've got, I've got some questions there. Yeah. Because you've, you've touched a lot there. So first of all, uh, can one of these bat corders, can they also be used as a handheld bat detector or are they purely what we would call static type bat detectors? Purely static. Um, purely static, okay. Right. Yeah, we, we, we are reconsidering this every second year, but um, we have a German saying, Eier legen de Wollmilchsau, so uh, an animal that gives eggs, milk, uh, wool, whatever. So uh, the, the, the problem is uh, if a device has to fulfill many different tasks, yeah. It's hard to build it in a way that it can compete at every task. So um, yes. our goal was we have one task and we focus on this task, static recording for, okay. if possible, the full year. Okay. So that therefore means, and it's not an issue, but it's just so I clarify, uh, the device as we see it there, you don't put batteries into that device. You attach that device to an external battery pack. Is that correct? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. The, the left device and the right device, they also have an internal uh, battery. The, 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 uh, I have to explain. The mini bed quarter is a bit different. It only okay. has an internal battery. You can okay. power it uh, via USB, but um, it is designed for, for um, people uh, doing voluntary bed work. So um, the step into the system, uh, the financial step is, is not that high, but uh, of course you have to reduce the functionalities. Um. Okay, okay. 
Right. I take it uh, the file format that the BAT Corba uses. I take it it's .wav files. Is that correct? Um, the mini bed coder can produce WAV files. Um, okay. The normal bed coder at the moment still uh, produces .raw files. It's okay. the same as a WAV file, just without the header information. Um, why is that? When we started the bed coder uh, design, um, one goal was to have no interruptions in recording beds. So um, what it does, the bed coder hears a bed call recognize it as a bad call, um, which is not done on species level, of course, but on very basic, uh, simple features. Okay. Then it starts a recording and um, the bad coder is set up in a way that it will stop after a certain time without further calls. This time is between 200 and 800 milliseconds. So very, very um, small um, gaps are allowed. So. Um, if you have a pipistrelle, it has uh, call intervals of 80 milliseconds, no problem. If you have uh, greater knock tools, they can have larger call intervals, then you get many recordings. These raw files should be written without any interruption between two independent uh, files. So um, if you write a WAV file, you have, fill in, you have to fill in the uh, data length in the header. So the sound program knows, okay, now I have a part of data that is, has 800 bytes, whatever. Um, this takes time. If you have to um, rewrite the start of the file, it takes time. So we decided we just write the raw file so we don't have to adjust any part of the header. Okay, okay. So does this mean, therefore, that if someone uses your bat cord or hardware, it's not that easy for them to use the files recorded from your bat detector on other software packages is and that's maybe not the reason why you did it but it would be a bit clunky if if i went out tonight and downloaded files off of a bat corder and then i opened up something like kaleidoscope or anabat insight would those software packages recognize those files or would something have to would something have to happen to those files to make them recognizable? Uh, you have to convert them to WAVE. So some software packages like uh, Bat Explorer from Elecon uh, can read the raw file. Uh, Avisoft can read the raw file um, since it's normal sound data. So um, there's, there's not, not much magic to it. Um, I've never worked with Anabet Insight or Kaleidoscope, so I guess they only can read wave and zero crossing files. So you would need to convert them. Um, there are tools, uh, free tools available that can do batch convert, like um, on SOX audio library, for example. And we're also, with the mini bed coder, we added wave support as well. So with the mini bed coder, you can write wave files. And um, as soon as there's enough time, we will add it to the other bed quarters. Um, the problem is, it needs to be done at a, at a time where it's not critical. So um, late in the year, uh, because if you add a feature, people will use it. And if you even after testing find a problem, um, if the data is um, corrupted after half a year monitoring, you have not so happy customers in the yeah. end. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, silly question, okay? I'm sure a lot of people are wanting me to ask this, but why do we have this long, thin aerial 
at the top of the machine. You know, what is this all about? Okay, it's uh, I'm kind of just playing here, but I would imagine a lot of people would look at this bat detector and go, okay, why do I have this space rocket at the top? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, when we were starting our research, we realized the call quality is important. And one thing that is very, very, very bad for uh, call analysis are echoes. Yeah. If you have echoes overlapping, so simple sound physics tells us um, if we if we have a small distance to a hard object, you will get an um, echo that will mostly overlap with with your call or with nearly all of the calls. So uh, okay, um, then we did a lot of calculations. <laughs> we really did calculations uh, on distances and echoes. So um, we found out okay if we if we separate the microphone from the device in such a way that um, it's far enough away. And we usually, if, if you use the bed quarter, you also have a small piece of, it look, looks like fur. It's, it's a cloth kind of thing with a very long um, or very thick cloth. So to reduce echoes from the device completely. Okay. Yeah. And the other thing is um, now we could of, of course have um, mounted the microphone just at exactly the level of the of the device um, surface, so to avoid echoes. But then you have a big uh, area behind the detector that you can't record because the device itself uh, will yeah. will make a shadow, an acoustic shadow. Yes. So um, we moved out the microphone. It sits in the tip of the. In Germany, most people say antennae. Yes. Um, yeah. It sits in the tip, um, and we moved it that far out so the device does not give any or hardly any uh, shadow to the call. So uh, we have omnidirectionality as far as that is possible. Okay, okay. And because this is a static device, um, th there's less chance of this getting damaged because it's not like someone's walking around with, with one of these. Yes, is that? Exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, let's, let's, are you happy for us to move on to the software? Um, yeah. Um, I, could, I could just a quick overview of the, of the extension. So, so the idea yes, is, yeah. uh, okay. exactly. So, um, because uh, you also see there's the bed quarter and there's the GSM bed quarter. Okay. It already has a wind turbine uh, behind its icon. Um, People of, of course asked us, okay, we want uh, to mount a bed quarter in a wind turbine. We want to mount the bed quarter on a wind metering mast or in a tree, whatever. So um, we um, soon found out it's easier to, to have extensions so add-ons um, to give this um, different possibilities for the users. So um, the first extension was actually the wind turbine extension. So we, we um, have a small um, small device that is connected to the bed quarter uh, that um, is power or helps helps to power the bed quarter. It's connected to main power, but uh, since main power often produces a lot of uh, disturbances, so um, you have no clear good acoustic signal anymore. Um, this extra extension cuts off main power when the bed quarter turns on. Things like this. So um, also. We invented a box 
which is housing the bedcorder and a solar panel for uh, long-term monitoring. So you can run from uh, April to October if you want to, exactly. Um, and then you realize, okay, if you have two components, you have cables in between. So what can you make or how can you improve and make the system more, um, yeah, more, more simple so you avoid errors people can do. And this is why we invented the GSM bedcoder. It includes the extra um, device. Um, this extra device also has a uh, SIM card slot so it can send um, text messages on its status. So uh, for example, either in the turbine or in this box, um, it will tell you each morning I was running, I recorded that many beds, my microphone is still okay. This is another important thing when we invented the bed quarter, uh, I missed that. That's the most important thing. We only have calibrated microphones. So what we do is um, we measure each microphone with a 40 kilohertz signal and um, calculate the difference to our fixed setting. So the user um, can set up each bed quarter with exactly the same sensitivity. Uh, which is um, full-scale recording at uh, six, uh, 96 uh, dB SPL. Um, and um, so if you have set up your bed quarter in a wind turbine or on a tree for a year, of course, you should know when the microphone starts failing. Um, and in the end, we, 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 we combined all the different uh, small gimmicks into the GSM bedcorder, uh, which coexists next to the normal bedcorder. So uh, people can still decide themselves, do we, do we want all in one box or do we want to have the normal bedcorder, which we can use in many different ways. And if we want to get an extra box extension, for example. Okay, okay, sounds, sounds good, sounds really good. And these machines and your software, um, I think I'm right in saying, uh, your products in the UK are available via NHPS, is that correct? Yeah. Exactly, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. we, we, we learned quickly that there's a big gap from Germany to the UK and uh, within, within mainland Europe, um, we are very well connected and this uh, channel in between seems to interrupt this disconnection somehow even so um we, we have we have good customers like Geoff billington um who's using our devices since 2010 or something like that when we met first um it's two completely different bad worlds the uk yeah and germany or i think that the connections between uk and france started establishing but um yeah Somehow we we um, we realized this this is hard and since we are, we are coming from the research and not uh, we're not normal business people we work differently so we're not marketing offensive uh, uh, what's what's the word aggressive offensive aggressive. Uh, or aggressive ah, aggressively sounds sounds bad so but uh, yeah we, 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 we <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so so it's it's different and we have to plan to finally start um, putting the word out more in the UK, which this is a good start for, um, and going to conferences, which now is not possible due to pandemic. Uh, and with the Brexit, it all got more complicated again. So uh, yeah, but I hope, I hope we will be more seen in the UK soon. Um, 
it's a big a big marketplace in the UK and and also the Republic of Ireland and uh, yeah you know so yeah a lot of people over here doing an awful lot of bat related consultancy work um, yeah yeah, yeah. Let, let's talk a little bit about the software now then so alongside alongside the hardware that the hardware and the software that am I right in saying they really are designed to work together yes is that how you would if you would it you wouldn't normally use the software unless you were using the hardware and vice versa, or am I being unfair there? Am I being a little bit unfair? Um, yes and no. So, uh, of course, it was designed as a system. So you have the hardware and the software that um, knows the hardware very well. Um, it gives a lot of opportunities if both are designed together, um, you can make life much easier for the user. Um, there are people using our software without our devices, um, just because um, the software gives a lot of help when analyzing bed calls and when uh, analyzing your data. So not, not only the species identification it does, but also um, printing out graphs, um, helping managing your, your uh, data. When, when I started the software, I always thought of iTunes for bed calls. So um, I have my that call library, uh, just like I have my music library in iTunes, for example. Uh, this this was, was the idea, and this this works well also for other recording types. But yes, in the end, it's designed as a system. So um, when the bedcoder records the beds, it also does record temperatures, for example. And the software knows exactly how the, the temperatures are recorded and will give uh, information for each recording on the temperature, stuff like that. So there's a um, high integration between hard and software. So how would you, you, I think you um, maybe didn't actually, you mentioned Bat Explorer from Elicon. Okay, so um, does your software do the, pretty much the same sort of things that a normal sound analysis software program would do so in other words you see spectrograms oscilligrams power spectrums uh, it does all the normal stuff that someone would normally expect uh, is that correct and yeah exactly so uh, we we have we have three different programs there's one that was designed to manage all your recordings. Uh, this also does the automatic call uh, analysis. Uh, this is the software BC Admin. Um, you collect your recordings within the software. It's a, it's a database. Uh, it's the leftmost icon, uh, exactly. Um, it collects, it, it, it does not store the recording files in the database. These are stored externally. You only have um, uh, references to them, but all the other information, all the meta information like recording night, um, temperature, recording time, or the species that you assign to the recording are stored within a database, which is handled and managed by BC Admin. Um, it's based on, a, on an idea you have per device, per night. This is something we call a session. So your session is one night, one device, and uh, this is the main uh, management uh, level. And from you can uh, combine uh, sessions into projects or whatever you want. Um, you start with this PC admin, you import the data, you press find calls. Um, then uh, within the recordings, 
the application looks for bad calls, uh, does automatic measurements, writes them to files um, for uh, species identification. The software also does not nowadays displays uh, sonograms of found calls. You have an overview of, of all your calls in the file. So um, you stay within the software 99% of the time to do your, your bad work. Um, we have PC Analyze, which is the typical sound analysis program, like for example, BedSound or the Avisoft program. So you load one file, you select parts of the file, you do measurement sonograms, uh, look at spectra, um, and then you switch out of the application to BC Admin and uh, enter your, your, your species or um, your manual species ID if you want to. So um, BC Analyze is just like, like the normal sound analysis program without the database. Okay. Um, and BC Admin stores all the other data for, for um, reports, whatever. And then you've got this thing called Batident. What what's what's this about? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it it started off as BC discriminator, and we learned that discriminate is a, a stupid word, but identification is better. And um, uh, Batident uh, is the automatic identification of species tool. So um, Batident takes the measurements that BC admin generates, um, runs runs these measurements through a statistical process to find out for each single call which species or group it could belong to. Um, I have to tell a bit more about that. When we started automatic call analysis or automatic species ID, um, we started like most people with uh, simple um, statistical tools. Um, quickly found out that it's quite hard. So um, we looked at into, into modern packages um, that uh, genetic scientists use for, uh, uh, for analyzing gene sequences. And then we found a tool called Random Forest. Um, we managed to use that tool. Um, we have actually this bad identity is just a wrapper around R. Um, are not nowadays everyone use, uh, knows it um, and we use random forest from R, uh, run our measurements. Through this tool, we do um, an outlier analysis, something else we have learned. So um, you, you not only look if it is a bad call or belonging to a species, but you also check, is it really belonging to this species or maybe it's an outlier. Um, and the next thing we learned, then is um, if you write a tool that wants to give one species per call, um, you end up with a big mess, but you, 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 um, uh, it's okay. It's uh, ringing at the door, but uh, sorry. Um, so um, the next thing we, we found out is um, if you want one species and you don't have any intermediate steps, uh, you end up with, with a big mess. So this, this this tool also starts off, okay, is it a pipistrelle call or is it a nuctalus call? Um, next is um, that it does a further analysis and this is all in an automated way. Yeah. To give yeah. the quick overview, yeah. 
to this. Yeah, so when it comes to uh, automated classifiers, look, I, d I don't think you're going to claim that your automated classifier, but I didn't, always gives the right answer, yeah? It's, it's more about putting the calls into different buckets so people can then determine themselves whether they feel comfortable that the answer is correct. Um, at least that is my take on automated classifiers. And I say to people all the time, you've always got at some point in the process to apply a manual human element of decision-making. Um, and you can't blame the software if the software keeps giving you the wrong answer. You can only blame the human for not auditing the software accurately enough. Now, I've said a few things there, and I don't really know what your take on auto-classifiers are, but do you want to come in with some perspectives there from, from that point of view? Very happily. Um, this is a real big problem because uh, nowadays so many people start working with bats. We have many projects. We have still motorways to be built. We have uh, housings to be built, all this stuff. And we need many more consultants than we have. So there's many coming and they see, ah, we have an automatic system. And this is when I usually want to tell them, just don't buy my stuff because I want people with brains. Um, there's, there's, uh, there's, there's two main aspects. If you would record optimal calls all of the time, so no echoes, good signal to noise ratio, full call so not only parts of the call often often if you have maotis calls for example the higher frequencies get attenuated more they are missing from the recording so if you would have the perfect recording so would you would be able to classify at a much higher level we would of course we were playing around with this and uh, we could even uh, identify mustacinus and branti at a confidence level of nearly 100 percent if they were released or if, if they called at the same location. So um, we have for both species always the same um, clutterness, for example. And um, if we only take the best recorded calls, this is not a real life condition. Real life condition is you set up your detector behind a tree, you set up or the bed flies behind the tree, you set up detector, the bed flies too far away. Um, so real life situation means you get mostly calls of lower quality if you have a static system um and if you get um many calls because because if you have, you have a good good spot um so you have to you, you have noise in your data there is no other possibility to have no to have noise in the data so um you don't have this good recording, so you have to deal with the noise. Um, and the first thing that I tell our clients is be happy if you get most of the genera correct. So if Miotis calls end up as Miotis calls, and uh, if Nuctalus and Epticicus and Vespertilio, which we combine, end up as Nuctaloid group, because for most consultancy works, at the first step, it doesn't matter if you have Nuctulus Leisler or Nuctulus Noctula, they both have similar ecological aspects in, in their life. So uh, they need trees and they hunt in the open. So yeah. if you build a wind turbine, 
and cut down trees, or if you build a wind turbine and it runs, for, for, for both species is a problem. So often you don't need detailed level of identification in the first hand. It may change later then, but um, at first, you know, motor species were there. You can't build the, the motorway in a way that, that it is planned. Yeah. And so this is this is one aspect that um, one, one is bad quality calls and the other is what kind of data do we actually need? for our work. Um, a third aspect, if you do research, you all often want more detailed information. And then you should think how much errors are possible without changing your result. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. If you work with uh, beetles, you often have the problem that they're very hard to identify. You need a technical uh, examinations. Now you have one of these barber traps or some of these barber traps and you have 1000 uh, small black beetles. Um, and you, you tend to analyze um, only parts of them, identify. And then you live with an error of, for example, 10 or 20% and you still can do ecological predictions. Um, okay. So, sometimes it's just okay to to have an error um and just to accept there's an error if you have 100,000 recordings and you know you have 10,000 uh you know for sure you have 10,000 uh greater noctules does it matter if there's 2,000 more or not so the, 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 this this is often um a question a, a question i ask my clients when they ask me okay how good is is the idea, uh, the identification process. And um, in our heads, so often it still is from, from the time when we did manual recordings, when we collected with a time expansion detector, we detected 10 beds and we had 10 recordings. And when we were happy, we were driving home, sitting at a computer, uh, analyzing the 10 recordings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's different now. It's um, totally different, yeah. Yeah, so, um, and, and the automatic classifiers, in my opinion, they will never reach more than 70% correct classifications. Never. Uh, of course, it depends on the species um, that are available on site. If you only have pipistrels, if you're offshore and you only have uh, natusis and maybe noctules passing, of course, it's 100% you can identify, but um, otherwise, um, yeah, uh, you, you have to live with, with errors. And I think more than 70%, I, I don't see any, any further improvements. Um, it's only more stable maybe. So now you have between 40 and 70% correct identifications. And I think you can stabilize it with better statistical tools with better measurements, uh, something we're working on right now. Yeah. But then, um, there is, there's an end. And even if you do manual analysis, um, I yeah. can't um, identify all my calls that I record. Just where I live now, um, with these Dauben tones we mentioned in the beginning, which I was wondering, um, yeah. I can't tell if there's Mustacinus um, or Bronti as well, um, or if there's Amiotastasic um, Neme. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's often, it's often very simple. And then you have this many, many sequences where you have 
kind of interesting calls and uh, yeah and, and then the best you can say is it's a myotis or sometimes exactly sometimes the best you can say is it's a bat <laughs> exactly know. exactly yeah, you know, yeah, that there is so much uh, there is so much that you have mentioned there Volk, <laughs> that uh, that really um you know people that are accustomed to listening to the likes of myself talking to them about uh, analysis of bat calls i always say to people what's the job okay it's it's something over here that anybody that knows me uh, i get uh, you know, people people hear me say this all of the time. What's the job? And and I'm so glad you picked up on the Nictilus Eliasler's nocturnal wind turbine type situation, because I have said hundreds of times to people, um, if you've got a Nictilus at a wind turbine development situation, whether it's a nocturnal or a Leisler's, the developmental impact on whatever it is, is the same because they're both at the same level of risk. And yes, it would be good to verify which one of the two species that you have, or if you've got both species, but to be overly concerned about identifying every single bat pass from that species group to species level and the knowledge that some of the time uh, some might get wrong, especially if they're higher up into the 20 kilohertz range, you might have noxials there that get misidentified as Leislers. But, you know, it's better to lump them together and say this is the overall risk and be accurate with that statement rather than saying, We've got 2,659 nocturnal passes and 3,788 liceless passes. The chances are there is a mistake if you go that far. And, and likewise, if you've got myotis on a site like that, or especially the myotis species we have here, they tend to be at much lower risk from wind turbines. And therefore, to get really, really excited about having to identify every single bat pass to species level, uh, it's unrealistic and it's not efficient and it's not often that helpful. And I think that's, I think that's kind of what you were saying. Yeah, Is, would you agree? Am I putting words in your mouth? Is that kind of what you're no, saying? No, it is absolutely the same. And this is um, this is the idea behind behind the backcoder and the software for all. Of, since we started, it was uh, was always, uh, especially with with the software, give the user a tool that makes makes it easy to stay at at, at another level, uh, not the species level, but uh, we we have some uh, we have these these groups, for example. So I have I have groups that is just simply nyctaloid, which includes nyctalus aptesicus vespertilio and tatarida. So. Uh, then we have we have within the automatic identification we have subgroups kind of which we call channels. It's uh, not not right in a bi biological sense, but uh, we combine. Uh, no, not we combine, but random forest combined for us. For example, um, in the group uh, mid-sized nyctaloids, there's um, Epizicus and Lysla. So um, and 
the software allows at every step of analysis to choose between species or groups or this so-called uh, channels. So um, whenever you do an analysis, if you do a plot, like um, you can see here uh, on the screen plots with colors. Um, yeah. And whenever you, you choose to color something, you can choose to color with a group or a species. So um, you can take out some level of detail and get a much better uh, understanding of activity patterns, for example. Yeah, yeah. And you don't get lost within with single calls. Of course, uh, as you can see in the middle uh, lower column, of course, we offer tools um, where you can, uh, there you can overlay um, calls, um, reference calls on your recorded call to check where it belongs to. Um, if the user wants to do that with each sequence, he can, but usually you only do this when you do voluntary work, otherwise no one's paying. Uh, <laughs> yes. you, you have these possibilities, but uh, exactly, but um, often it's just useless waste of time, um, just to put it very bluntly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've, I, that's, that's an awful lot uh, that you're saying, and, and it's, it's really interesting uh, anybody listening to this uh, up until 15 minutes before we press the record on today's interview. Myself and Volker have never spoken directly to each other before today. We've exchanged some emails in the past. So a lot of what I'm hearing Volker talk about today is the first time I've heard him talk about this stuff. And it's the first time he's heard me talk about uh, my uh, thoughts and and it's interesting that we're we're very very we're very very close to each other in terms of uh, our viewpoint and how these things uh, should be thought about and used. Um, yeah, yeah, um, and and I think I think people also get very excited about um, on the negative side of beta classifiers they complain about how classifiers will quite often give them the wrong answers for the reasons that you were saying and you know sync poor poor recording quality or sometimes some bats are just very very difficult to identify mm -hmm. safely from other bats that's just the way it is but and but you hear an awful lot of people moaning about classifiers being rubbish and stuff like this but if you give even the most experienced bat acoustic person 10,000 calls to analyze manually, um, that person is also either going to make mistakes because they're tired or they're subconsciously pressing the wrong button because they've been distracted, or they're going to come across calls that as you were saying, Volker, earlier, you look at it and you just go, I don't know what that is, you know? Uh, you know so manual identification uh, isn't, isn't perfect either, but it takes an awful lot longer. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, so yeah, yeah we, for example, NPC admin in the, in the database tool, you can um, manually uh, change the species identification, of course. So first you get the automatic identification and then you can change it manually. And um, the automatic identification gives a percentage. I hate it. People want it, but uh, you can't give a percentage. You, you, you can't say this is with 70% uh, correctness, it's a 
pygmaeus call you can't say it because um it's either right or wrong uh there is nothing in between because the percentage only gives the distance to the center the statistical center of the reference calls um and nothing else uh it's unrelated to to the species itself it's just based on the reference calls you fed into the system so um i hate it but the people want it when you do manual analysis i set the uh, percentage to zero in the software uh, because uh, with a manual analysis you even can't give a number of how close you are to a center of the reference calls in your head you you, you can't yeah. do it so um either you're you're right or wrong just as the software but um so i give zero percent is also easy to filter so i can tell uh, yeah. all with zero percent are user um identified but so yeah uh, yeah, no, 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 no. I, I, I like that, and uh, and yeah, I'm sure, and I don't know what you would feel, but uh, I'm sure my own level of manual analysis is impacted upon uh, relative to uh, whether I'm doing it in the morning or at night or on a Wednesday or a Saturday. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's you get you get tired or. Or you get something into your head, yeah. You're 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 looking at something, and you get something into your head, and then 10, 15 minutes later, you suddenly realize that you've missed, you haven't seen or you haven't heard something that is so obvious, mm -hmm. and you've gone down the completely wrong road. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, and the other problem is um if you don't think well about it you uh, quickly get into circular conclusions uh so you learn something wrong and you repeat it and repeat it and um yeah uh this is also a problem for software because we often ask if you could have a self-learning system but how should it learn who is the godful power behind it yeah. to tell this is you have to learn this as this uh so uh, users want to tag recordings class uh with the manual classification and want a system to learn and um with such a system i can easily teach the system to only uh identify a single species independent of the calls i feed into because i'm i'm training in a wrong way so um also something i really don't like and it's the same i'm i'm looking into all these 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 new tools these new statistical tools like um deep machine learning uh, it's so easy now. You you have you can do it on your phone. Um, your phone can to tell you which plant or beetle you look at by yes. taking a picture. Yes. Um, great idea, but um, again, the quality of recordings, uh, the noise you have in the recordings, the echoes you have, um, taking all this into account, it's like each is a different beetle or different plant. So, um, and I'm I'm not getting better results um, or not not. I, more or less on the same level and of course we're looking into these things because people tell us you have to do this this is just the the, the best you can do now and uh, now um because the problem is a different one the problem is not that our tools are limited the problem is that the variability in calls is yes. too large yeah and so we've got yes we've got the variability from the point of view that an individual species or even an individual bat has got such a wide repertoire of I call it acoustic torches. You know, so it's, I know I, I describe it as an acoustic torch. Uh, 
Each individual bat has got an acoustic torch with a variety of settings that it will choose to use dependent upon what's in front of its face. And uh, and you've got, it's not like bird song where, mm -hmm. you know, and it's not that bird song is particularly simple because different individual birds will have slightly different uh, ways of producing their song and you'll get dialects and stuff like this. But, but bat echolocation isn't like that. It's 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 an adaptable tool, isn't it? You know, it just exactly. Makes it, yeah, makes it yeah. very. And then you've got limitations also in human knowledge. As much as I think many people in the bat world like to think that we know a lot about bat acoustics, uh, the reality is that I don't believe that we're as smart as we actually think we are. You know, I think. There's probably an awful lot still going out on out there regarding what some of these bat species do that we're only beginning to uh, get a handle on. And there'll be other things that we don't even appreciate yet. And yep. I'm thinking about uh, Cecilia Montebon's study on the pipistrels in uh, southern Spain, where they found this uh, you know, echolocation plasticity. Um, where uh, one species of pipistrelle is producing uh, echolocation pulses at frequencies that you wouldn't normally expect. And, mm -hmm. uh, and how often does this occur, for example? Anyway, I've said quite a few things there, Volker. I mean, but does it all, is that all ringing true with you? Or do you want to contest anything that I've said there? Or <laughs> No, no, it's, 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 it's all fine. And uh, I would even go further. Um... We still, the, 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 it's very obvious that there's a lot more to bat acoustics and then we're not half as smart as we think. Um, one thing that will be, when we talk about the book, it will be part of, of what we can talk about. But one thing I'm always uh, getting angry is we're still even not able to um, get um, from our recordings, we, we're not even able to give a number of uh, how many beds or if, if, some, uh, if there's a lot or only a little bed activity. Um, this is one part why I started writing the book is the bed pass. I hate this concept of bed pass um, okay. because um, just the position of your detector will influence the number of bed passes you record. Um, so, um, for example, our software, of course, uh, our software has the number of recordings as the first simple measurement, but our software um, has many tools to, to um, combine data uh, in time-based um, classes. So uh, we have, we have, or intervals. So uh, we, we count the intervals, uh, for example, one minute intervals with activity just to get out all this, uh, all this noise in the data because the bat flies just 10 meters away from the microphone or 20 meters away from the microphone. and um, so even the simple task we can currently we, we're not able to answer. Yeah. Are there we, we can say there are no, no bets at all, and we can say there are many bets if we have continuous uh, recordings, but um, everything in between, we we even not smart enough to tell you or to, to, to tell anyone um, there is a good or a bad side um, yeah. when it's in between nothing or a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and yeah, the bat the bat pass is, is the classic. I mean, 
do you have one bat that's circled around the bat detector 500 times or have you had 500 bats each have passed the bat detector once and yeah and and okay there are maybe ways that an experienced person might begin to have an opinion as to what might be happening in such circumstances but it is so so difficult to prove it one way or another you know uh, exactly. so, so difficult uh, impossible I, I would say okay so is there anything else about eco ops that you want to tell us as we're drawing things towards a close anything that i haven't asked you about that i should have mentioned or uh... i think we we, we we ended with with the most interesting topics uh, to learn how our company are things are uh, so um to, to or i think with the identification process uh, and our views where we really share the same views. Um, I think this is best to describe um, how we as EcoOps work uh, and how we think and how we produce and design our products. Um, so for example, good good quality of calls. Um, I, I always get asked the detection range and um, people tell me, ah, you can listen further, um, which I always negotiate because the physics and the quality both uh, have an influence uh, on, on how far you can detect. And I tell people always have five meters less detection distance, but have better calls. Um, and th this, this is the quality, I think, uh, that describes EcoOps the best. Uh, so trying to give a stable tool that really helps in your working process, but not uh, interferes too much where we're not necessary, but also doesn't produce too much data that uh, drives you crazy uh, in autumn when you have to write your report and then you suddenly realize you have 500,000 recordings and you still don't have a clue which bets. Yeah, 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 I can, yeah, I can totally relate. I can totally relate to that. Uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Volker, it's been a lot of fun. I, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, one of the, best things that I get to do is uh, talk to people that I've heard of but I've never actually met before <laughs> and today has been for me an excellent example. I started off this morning thinking mm, I wonder how this is going to go. <laughs> you were not the only one? <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and and it's just been so interesting to uh, hear your views and your background and how the company came about and I've learned quite a lot more now about your products that I did not know before and hands up as I said to you before I have never used any of your products and that's partly what was going to make today really interesting for me and I think a lot of other people listening to this it gives us something else to consider it gives us something else to put firmly in the frame as to the equipment and the software and the processes that we may find efficient and effective whilst carrying out our work um so hopefully that's achieved that yeah um yeah have you enjoyed yourself walker uh, yeah but, uh, <laughs> i woke up with the same feeling where where 
what will happen? Where, where will this lead? Um, especially for me with my rusty English, but uh, then uh, it was really funny and it was very nice to see that um, it, I should really start putting up videos myself, uh, showing some of the software features, uh, showing some of the hardware. It's on, on my on my to-do list since years and it's always, um, uh, but I, I think um, it will be worth uh, and maybe we also can, uh, exchange again in, in some time, not only about the book, but also about species idea uh, identification and other ideas, uh, because that's very refreshing um, to hear, to talk to someone with, with very good views um, on what we should do and what we do. And um, that would be really nice, I think. Yeah, no, I, I would 100% agree, 100% agree with that. I would look forward to doing that. And I'm especially looking forward uh, to talking to you about the book when it comes out. So that's that's going to be really good because, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm really interested to see what the book covers. And I think it, um, it, it caters for a perspective, I think, on what we do that is not necessarily fully catered for or properly catered for in other books that uh, people will have available to them, especially in the English language. I don't know about uh, books in other languages. So I think that's going to be really interesting. And that's that's only a few months away. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I've got an awful lot of uh, batty friends or bat associates or colleagues that are saying to me, what's this book, Neil? Do you think this book's going to be worth getting? And, and I've said to them that undoubtedly, I think it's going to be worth getting. And I, uh, I'm going to look forward to speaking to yourself about that, probably around about late July, August, yep. September time, I think. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to stop the recording now. Uh, Volker, uh, don't go away. I'd like no, to, no. I'd like to talk yep. to you for a few minutes after we finish the recording. But uh, everybody, that has been Volker Runkel from EcoOps talking about with me today. And I hope you found it interesting, enjoyable, uh, maybe even entertaining <laughs> and enlightening at points. And Volker, there has been absolutely no issues whatsoever with your English. I understood Thanks. everything that you were saying. And I'm quite sure uh, anybody else uh, will understand perfectly. And it was far better us doing this in English than me trying to do this in German, because that would have been a that would have been very entertaining, but it would have been of no educational value whatsoever. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm gonna say goodbye. Uh, Volker, say goodbye. We've goodbye. Hope you enjoyed this Talking Bat interview, which is an edited audio-only version of the original video session. The full version, including video, is available via Betability Club, our online training platform. To find out more about Club, go to betability.co.uk. Till next time, thank you.